welcome back to The Accounts, the podcast where I get to talk to TCU students about their experience with the coronavirus situation. Big news, we're finally into finals week, very exciting, and I hope you guys are doing well in your finals this week and hope you have some great summer plans going. Today's guest is a graduating senior. She's a philosophy major on the pre-law track as well as an honors college student, and she will be going to the Duke Divinity School to study theological studies next year. Leah Smith, welcome on the show. Hey, Kyle. So happy to be here. Now, Leah, I'd like to start off with a baseline, sort of see how student semesters are going prior to the coronavirus announcement. So can you tell me how your semester was going? Yeah, absolutely. So I was scheduled to graduate May 2020, so final semester, a lot of bittersweet feelings. I had a lot of things planned, such as senior photos, um, graduation ceremony, parties, and, you know, getting to spend the last semester with the philosophy department teachers doing some really hands-on papers and discussions, just trying to end my last semester with a bang, and I was pretty pumped. So it was a lot of mixed emotions, but academically, I was focused and ready to kind of give it my all this last semester. Now, when it was initially announced that we would be extending spring break and then eventually going online for the rest of the semester, what were your initial thoughts? Um, My first thought was... You can't do philosophy online. (laughs) Um, A lot of liberal arts that are, I'm sorry, a lot of classes, especially seminar-based ones, like the ones that I'm in, a lot of the times we rely on the professors to provide clarification or examples or have those real-life discussions in real time where you can kind of really get into the details of the readings. And so that was my initial thought. And I also felt a sense of panic um, because I felt like I was one of those students who doesn't have the luxury to go straight home and be welcomed back into a family environment that's really productive and conducive to online work. So staying in Fort Worth, I felt a little panicked, a little bit alone and um, just kind of nervous about what was going to happen. How have your professors done in terms of adjusting to the online realm? I would say that my professors have been really incredible about adjusting to the online platform um, with a few caveats. I have some courses that are strictly no lecture, everything's by the book, and we email questions if we have them. And then I do have some classes that wanted to stay on the regular structured 2 p.m. class time, Zoom discussion gathering, which, you know, I'm lucky enough to have internet access and to be in a space and work for a job where I could step away and do that. But for a lot of the students who don't have that same privilege or didn't have their books with them, um, there was a bit of a struggle there. And you could tell that a lot of the class participation just dramatically fell off, even with the professors being super encouraging and open and having virtual office hours. I think they did the best that they could, but I do wish that they had more preparation to really accommodate the students with no internet access or, you know, who couldn't go home and have the luxury of an open schedule. You mentioned that you're still in Fort Worth. Could you talk about how you're staying connected with your friends and family? Yeah, absolutely. So a lot of my friends are back home in our hometown from different respective colleges, and I've had the chance to FaceTime them a couple times, and I've even honestly saw a lot of help from my TCU professors of just, hey, can we get on the Zoom call? I just really need to talk to someone. Um, So it's a lot of FaceTime and as well as just finding 
little moments on social media to like share old photos or like, I don't know, a funny meme or a tweet or just something to kind of smile throughout the day. So it's kind of um, interesting, but I'm glad that everyone that I care about in close proximity are still doing well. So in regards to Duke, congratulations on getting in there. And I have a couple questions for you about that. So first off, what led you to pursue theological studies and how did you land on Duke as your school for doing that? Yeah, thanks so much. <laughs> it was, uh, I actually didn't decide to apply until about two weeks before the application was due. Um, so I'm going into a master's of theological studies on a focus track, which means I'm really there for the academic side of the theo- the theological studies, not so much um, getting prepared to go into ministry or something like that. Um, I had a course actually with Dr. Harris and Dr. Galvin last year, and it was a philosophy course on ethics. And one of, of course, one of the main authors we read was Immanuel Kant. And it was really funny because I had heard of Kant, but I never really studied him. And we learned about a lot of the basic principles, and I won't go into it, but one of the main things is you'll hear the categorical imperative and his principle of autonomy. And we started talking about the principle of autonomy, and I um, immediately thought of ways that we could apply those ethics into today's world. And one of the things that I thought of was this phenomenon in um, theology called prosperity gospel. So an example would be like Joel Olstein, Kenneth Copeland, um, a study or a tradition within the practice. Um, some say Christianity, some say, you know, other caveats, but a practice where you're promised health, wealth, and prosperity as long as you um, tithe a certain amount of money uh, for a certain amount of times. And to me, that really struck a chord because I grew up in that practice. And as soon as we started reading Kant and talking about applied ethics, this alarm went off my head and I was like, wow, that would be really interesting to apply, you know, talking about autonomous figures when at the same time these people are being told that their way to salvation is by tithing more and more and giving more of themselves. And it's really interesting to note that a lot of the leaders of prosperity gospel make millions of dollars a year when their followers are well, well below, you know, even middle-class income levels. So I wanted to go to a place where I could ask those questions and dive deeper into the the theology side of it, as well as um, the academic side. So there's a professor at Duke Divinity named Kate Bowler, and she's one of the first and only um, contemporary American uh, academics who studies prosperity gospel. I got to read some of her work, and I just knew that I wanted to study with her and under her. So I applied to Duke, and I somehow got in. So (laughs) I'm really excited to get there and start asking those questions and really dive deeper into a practice that a lot of people don't talk about, um, but it's very prevalent in Texas. So that should definitely be an incredible opportunity. I'm looking forward to hearing more about that. I know a lot of students love talking about Dr. Galvin too. Do you have any fun Dr. Galvin stories? (laughs) I, (laughs) I actually only had that one class with him. Um, I, he had a brief cameo in our intro course. And I remember my initial thought was, wow, this guy is crazy. Like he is the type of old school professor who just has these like handwritten notes and he'll just write a bunch of like scribbly stories on the board. Um, So I didn't never really got a chance to have a close connection But I think the closest was going to the philosophy office to talk to Dr. Harris. And Dr. Galvin was like, hey, what are you doing here? And I was like, 
um, I'm a philosophy student. I'm here for office hours with Dr. Harris. And he was like, oh, okay. So I don't scare you. And I was like, what? So he's just, he's just really funny. Like he just finds little ways to like, you know, just try to talk to you and just be there. So I wish I had a better story, but I didn't get to know him that well. You mentioned that you've held a couple positions in real estate. Could you talk about how the real estate market is reacting to the coronavirus situation, if you could speak to that? Yeah, so I'm specifically in multifamily property management, um, so more so the apartment industry. Um, it's really disappointing and also kind of, um, I would say, a little nerve-wracking to see the responses, especially in the DFW market. I know a lot of companies who as soon as Fort Worth put their shelter in place orders, they decided to go virtual. So they locked all of the office doors, they closed off all the community areas, but you could still lease and, you know, call the office and be there. While some people completely had their employees switch to a remote based approach. So they would leave messages and then the employees back home would respond um, kind of slower than normal, but, you know, they would still respond. Um, my company actually was not one of the first to close its doors. So we were still giving tours. We were still talking to vendors and having people in the office. That was really scary just because I felt like my company specifically didn't value me as an employee enough to say, Hey, I know that you can do all of this work remotely. It might take a little bit longer, but you know, we'll support you. So once we switched, we actually never went remote. We went to a virtual office. So we're in the office with the doors locked, but we're scheduled to reopen up soon. I have a lot of mixed emotions. I know that people don't want to move into a new apartment without seeing it. That's been the number one um, response I've gotten from prospective residents is I really need to see this place. This is a big move. I'm paying money, which I understand, but you have to realize that in an industry like this, when you go on tours or when you're talking to people, there is no social distancing. There is no six feet that you can really do because it's such an up close and personal process. Um, I'm lucky that we still have a lot of clientele and people have still moved in, but I've seen a lot of mixed responses. Um, I'm personally disappointed in my company. I thought that if we were told that we couldn't go remote, then maybe at least have like a hazard pay bonus or some incentive to be in the office in real time. And a lot of the pushback we got was, you know, this is from our corporate team and we don't really have a way to go around this. But, you know, on the flip side, the corporate team's all working remotely. They're all at home right now with their kids or with their spouses. Like they're not on the ground level site that we're at. So I have a little bit more of a pessimistic view. I know some real estate agents and other properties have been doing just fine with remote work, but it really depends on what zip code you're in and what your expected occupancy is like. So as a philosophy major, have you seen any of the things you've learned applied in the coronavirus situation or have you thought about any big questions during this time? Oh yeah, absolutely. I think one of the big discussions that all of my philosophy teachers, once we started doing things online and having Zoom discussions is it's kind of ironic that a lot of the, at least in Texas, I would say, since, you know, we're one of the first states to reopen in phases, and there's been a lot of criticism and pushback, as well as, you know, some responses that we can't stay locked up forever and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So um, one of the big questions was the cost of public health versus public wealth. And there's a lot of different philosophical approaches. You know, you can think about the interests of 
people who are trying to do good morality or utilitarianism approach, you know, um, having a max happiness, whatever that means. And so I would say in terms of philosophy, the biggest like question is the cost of lives. Um, I realize that, you know, flattening the curve and a lot of those buzzwords that we've heard and trying to think about the other people who aren't young and healthy or who can't just bounce back from a virus if they were to catch it. So that's kind of the biggest, I would say, question in terms of morality um, applying to philosophy is what is the cost of those lives? Are you willing to put yourself at stake to either make their lives better or make their lives easier? Um, Like, for example, two weeks ago, I went to go get gas and everyone had gloves, everyone had masks, you know, they were wiping down the gas pumps right after we used them. I went today and no one had masks, no one had gloves. You know, it's been this like, let's just move forward. It doesn't matter. But then when you look at death tolls or when you, you know, look at the actual statistics, it is kind of like this huge overarching question of, okay, what does the Texas governor, what does the Fort Worth County, you know, what do the authorities figures say about the cost of lives? And that is such a big, big, big question in philosophy that, you know, no one has the correct answer, but it's interesting to see, you know, people's goodwill or people's approaches to the situation. So it's really interesting for sure. And a final question for you, looking back on your college experience, what advice would you give to younger college students? I think the biggest piece of advice I would give is to not come in with a set of assumptions. I'm a little different at TCU in that I transferred um, after a semester. So I didn't have the frog camp. I didn't have like this really nice, smooth transition into my first year at TCU. And, you know, I don't know if you've ever heard, but the transfer orientation in the springtime is like, here's your schedule and go. So it was really interesting to come from Texas A&M, a public university where there's thousands and thousands of students versus TCU, where it was this big culture shock. Um, So I guess the biggest piece of advice was not to come in with assumptions and stereotypes just keep an open mind because I know I did and that really impacted the way that I started to talk to people my first semester. I kind of assumed the worst and I assumed that, you know, they had different values than I did. But now as a senior, um, it's crazy. I think I missed out on a lot of time and opportunities to just get to know other people at TCU. Well, Leah, thank you for coming on the show. Hope you have a great summer and I hope you do well at Duke. Thanks. All right. Have a good one. And thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Hope you enjoyed our program. And also, same thing, hope you enjoy your summers.